that we just take a look at some couple of images and hear some things kind of from that day to kind of put us in the right place because for each of us individually that will take us to a certain place. 9-11 has a way of doing that to us. So what we'll do is we're going to play that clip and then we'll talk some more. Good evening. Today our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge, huge structures collapsing, have filled us with disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. These acts of mass murder. So, as you look at those, you know, certainly uh, gut wrenching, you know, to look at them and, and see what happened and. Uh, I don't know, you know, 9-11 has a way of just putting you right back to where you were and what was going on. And so even as we were setting up this morning, you know, uh, keeping in, in mind 9-11, you know, everyone's talking about kind of where they were and what they're doing and how people distinctly remember that day and, and what they were doing. I remember uh, that morning I was getting ready to go to school and uh, I think I had two classes that day. Uh, I went to school at Central in New Britain. I had two classes that day. Uh, I think I had a math class in the morning uh, to begin with. And then, believe it or not, after that, I had a class in development and Christian thought. Pretty interesting class. I'm on that campus. An interesting day for that. But um, so I was getting ready, and uh, my mom yelled to me. She's like, uh, Jared, Jared, come on downstairs. Um, there's uh, you know, something going on in the news. And so come downstairs. And that is right when uh, the first plane hit. And I was like, and, and probably like you, and however you heard or saw it, you're probably like, what the, is this real? Like, what's going on? You know, what's happening? It's just, you know, a lot of questions, sort of in bewilderment. So, uh, from there, you know, I'm getting ready. I know I have to go to school. So, on the way to school, I have my radio on, and I'm really tuned in and, you know, listening and just being, what's going on? And then you hear a second one go down, and I'm like, what the heck? So, I pull into the parking lot of school on the campus, and then uh, you look inside one of the rooms that they have where the TVs are, and it's just jam-packed with kids, you know, so we're in there watching, and we're like, what is going on? So, we go, uh, go to my math class, and... Uh, we have that, and then you know, I found out my next class got canceled as I moved way over there. And later on in the day, uh, come back home and like you, just listening, you know, watching, trying to figure out what in the heck is going on. Um, and things, you know, radically changed from that point in time. Radically changed, uh, quite a bit. And. The part that I wanted to look at today was uh, this is the ugliness that happened from Satan and his lies and his scheming and his manipulation. This is the end product of what happens. And it's no different from the way he's trying to go after us. He's trying to go after our kids. He's trying to go after our relationships. And he wants to take us out. And it's all birthed in lies, manipulation, and scheming. And so believe it or not, 
I was actually kind of baffled myself. Believe it or not, this morning, as we look in Acts, the passage perfectly fits for this morning. And we're going to look at lying, scheming, and manipulation and what actually happened. And, and so it's going to be kind of incredible, but we won't quite stay in Acts. We're going to jump to one other passage just to kind of close up and try and also address some questions and issues just that surround this whole thing. Because we're here in church, and that means to some degree we believe in God in some way and some sort of higher power. And so we're trying to, trying to get a handle as far as where does he play into this stuff? So we're going to take a look at some of that. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you could go to Acts 23. That's where we're going to be. And while you have your Bibles out, while you're at Acts 23, what you also are going to want to do is put a finger, or maybe put a piece of paper in Luke 13. Because we'll kind of we'll end up there later. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Acts 23. And then we'll be in Luke 13. So, what I wanted to do is I want to kind of start off with a couple of quotes about 9-11. Uh, just to get us kind of still kind of in the same mindset and still thinking about it and kind of reflecting a little bit about what's going on. So it's on the second slide. So we'll see. So here's one quote that kind of stuck out to me here. It says, Time is passing, yet for the United States there will be no forgetting September the 11th. We remember every rescuer who died in honor. We remember every family that lives in grief. We remember the fire and ash, and the last phone calls, the funerals of the children, right? So we stand together to remember. So that phrase, you know, never forget, is certainly pertinent and definitely applicable. The next quote we have on there says, thousands of lies. This is the part that's interesting to me, and we're going to take more of a look at today. It says, thousands of lies were suddenly ended by evil. Despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge structures collapsing, have filled us with a disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. Right? And I think both of those quotes are from uh, actually President Bush at the time. You know, say what you want about President Bush and whether you liked him or not, but I tell you what, I thought he did a pretty good job as far as uh, when September 11th occurred. On the next slide here, it says, For me and my family, personally... September 11th was a reminder that life is fleeting, impermanent, and uncertain. I think it really brought you know, things to the forefront. Therefore, we must make use of every moment and nurture it with affection, tenderness, beauty, creativity, and laughter. Right? And I thought that was a really good quote. That was from a, a doctor. Uh, I think her name was Dr. Deepak. And this one, I, I think, stuck out to me because... For all of the reasons, remember 9-11, one thing that it did do is it put priorities and made things really clear what was really important right away. You know, and I think she articulated it well with that quote. And um, so a couple things, a couple quotes just to help us look back, reflect, and kind of see what's going on here. So hopefully you have your finger, uh, in, or uh, you're at Acts 23 and you got your finger in Luke 13. 
So how could X possibly have to do with 9-11 and where we're at and what's going on? Well, let's see. Let's take a look. So we're going to be in verse 12. And just to give you a super quick recap as far as where we're at, because it's important to know, basically Paul is trying to make his defense. He tried it before the mob to say, listen, here's what I'm about. They didn't like it. They tried to kill him. Then he went before the religious authorities of that day. They didn't like it. And that got violent. So now, we pick up with after he just got out of the religious authorities and kind of being on trial with them to kind of see what's going to happen next. So in verse 12, take a look at this, right? It says, The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Is that not unbelievable, right? Sounds somewhat familiar. Says more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Does that sound like fanaticism to you? Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Very, very interesting. Right? So basically, these guys are so frustrated, so fed up with this guy. And the foundation of it is really just lies. They say, listen, there's 40 of us. We're going to take a vow. We're not going to rest. We're not going to do anything until we get this guy, until we kill him. Strikingly similar to a mindset that happened on 9-11, don't you think? And they said, listen, in order to carry out this plan... Go tell the commander that we want to talk to him. We want to get like more clarity on his case so we can better understand it. And when they bring him in, they're going to kill him. So very similar to 9-11, right? Four coordinated attacks. Two planes in the towers. The third hit the Pentagon. Fourth crashed in Pennsylvania, right? When the, um, when the crew tried to help take it back. There was a mastermind behind it. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. You remember that guy? Maybe you've seen pictures of this guy. You probably have. He was the guy with like the white t-shirt, a really hairy back, and like kind of a funky looking guy. But he's like the mastermind behind it. And so there's masterminds here at work as well, trying to manipulate, get Paul, get him in trouble, all centered around lies and deception. What was the lies and deception going on with Paul? the lies and the deception going on in this case that we just read about was that he was trying to preach a different Jesus and a different God that didn't match up with them. To them, that was very, very serious business. So that's what the trouble is there. But what were the lies that caused 9-11? What was driving these people? Why would they think to do this? Is it just because you know they're nuts? They're out of their mind? Or... They're fanatics. And if they are fanatics, what are they fanatics about? What is the driving force? Because for me, as a pastor looking at that, I see the end product of evil. I I don't think it was a random chance of events. I personally don't think it was an inside job. Some people might think. Um, I think it's Satan and evil at work. And I think one of the greatest evidences for a real God that's present 
is Satan kind of blowing his own cover because he just, he comes out with so much evil and so much deception. You see so many bad things happen you're just like, man, of course there's a God because there's just so much evil in the world. So, what were these lies that fuel this? And to me, this was interesting going back and kind of looking at this because so, it kind of helps put you in the place of these attackers and what the heck was going on and what they actually bought into. Because Satan is trying to feed us lies to get us to buy into things and he's hoping he can end up with an end product in our own lives that looks like a 9-11. Right? Where it ruins our marriages, it ruins our kids, ruins our relationships. That's how he's going after us. So take a look at So, some of these lies. I wanted to read off a couple for you. Now, Osama bin Laden, right? This nut guy, Osama bin Laden, he kind of showed up on the scenes in the mid-80s and uh, basically he rose to become a very important person in Islam. Became an important person. So much so that he actually wrote what's called fatwas, these articles that are like scholarly articles based on the Quran and his opinion. So like we have Bible commentators that like, you know, commentate on the Bible and tell people kind of what things might mean. Well, what he did is he wrote articles and he wrote things on what he thought the Quran might mean and how it might be interpreted. And so one of the driving factors behind 9-11 was this fatwa, was this commentary, was his like opinion on what the Quran says. So let me read you a couple of things from there. So one thing that he says, he says, it says, uh, First, for over seven years, the United States has been occupying the lands of Islam in the holiest places, uh, the Arabian Peninsula. It says, So here they come to annihilate what is left of this people and to humiliate their Muslim neighbors. He says, All these crimes and Sins committed by the Americans are a clear declaration of war on God, His Messenger, and Muslims. He says, The ruling to kill the Americans and their allies, civilians and military, is an individual duty for every Muslim who can do it in any country in which it is possible to do it. This is the mindset, these are the lies that are behind the whole thing. And since he's such an influential person within his circle and around his people, this is what he feeds them and this is what's going on. Right? It's the lies and it's the deception that is being used in this case. And then we see, end up seeing the end products. So, one thought that I want to carry into exactly what we're going to do with this and what we're going to talk about this morning. So on the next slide here it says, as long as Satan is alive, there will be lies, destruction, and tragedy. Right? That is pretty much just a fact. As long as he's around and until God gets rid of him to that great day, there will be lies, destruction, and tragedy. And here's the problem. Right? Also, when that day happened, there's a lot of people saying a lot of things, and there's also a lot of Christians quoting and saying a lot of things. Um, probably a lot of them I wouldn't say myself uh, because of, of, of this quote kind of right here. It says, Human tragedies are not always divine punishments, and it's wrong for us to play God 
and pass judgment. I mean, sometimes you just don't know. As you read through the Bible, one thing that you figure out and that you become aware of is that godly people suffer and godless people suffer. And sometimes it's hard to tell what is going on. Is it a punishment or is that just the road you're going down? Right? Because the apostles suffered. Jesus Christ himself suffered. And then godless people also suffer. He did away with Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? So it's tough to pass judgment on that stuff. And I don't think it's really our job to do that. Because on the next slide here, right, ultimately, we're never going to know the exact reason why God allowed 9-11 to happen. Unless He supernaturally reveals the reason to us. So for now, never forget is the way we should live. Right? Unless He chooses to supernaturally tell us for some reason through some person not really up to us. So never forget is a good motto. We certainly don't want to forget the families, the sacrifices, and what people did. But at the same time, spiritually, it has a place for us as well. And so, you know, on the next slide, where we're at, it's been 10 years. Have you forgotten? Not in a sense that, did you forget 9-11? I'm not really asking that. I'm asking, have you forgotten what you felt that day, what the emotions were, and the thoughts that you had? Because it is my guess that when 9-11 happened, like we talked about before, it brought to your mind a clear picture of what's really important in life. Kind of like that lady's quote about her family and spending time with them and the relationships that she had. And... Are those still the same things that are important? Are those still the same things that are in clear perspective right now? Hopefully we don't need another tragedy like that or a tragedy in your life to help bring the important things back to the forefront because that's not kind of the way we really want to go through life. So 10 years, what were you thinking then? How are you thinking now? And how have some things changed? You know, we were also talking this morning, there's a bunch of people here that have been at Ground Zero and met a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, one thing that really stuck out was just the ability just to talk openly now, all of a sudden, about, like, spiritual issues, God, um, right and wrong, you know, morality. You know, then, all, you know, people were open then. Because it's important, because it's like, oh, geez, you know, it, I better maybe start considering this because I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. I mean, if this just happened, anything could happen at any time. You know, so now people are open to talk about that stuff. And there's an incredible sense of unity. Almost all the stories that I hear are stories of people coming together, not even dependent upon what church, what organization, but coming together to help you know, and serve other people that we're hurting. I mean, that's amazing. It's unfortunate that it takes something like that for that to happen. But the picture of it was just tremendous. So let's go to that place in your Bible where you have your finger or your piece of paper. I think it's in Luke 13. Because believe it or not, there is a tower that fell. There is a tower that fell in the Bible. And a bunch of people died. Which is also pretty interesting. So verse 4. Jesus is talking about 
talking to these religious authorities, the same type religious authorities that like have Paul on trial and really that want to kill him, that are making this plot and that are planning to kill him. And so it says in verse 4 is where we pick up. Jesus says, Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Right? They had a similar episode where just something, you know, happened. A bunch of people died. A tower fell. A bunch of people died. And so the religious authorities were trying to figure out, okay, where does God fit into this mix? And did those people die and that bad stuff happened to them because they had more sin in their life because they were worse people? And Jesus uh, came right back at him and said, in fact, no, that's not the reason why it happened. You know, things do happen in this world that are out of our control. And it says that Satan is considered a prince of this world who goes around looking to devour people. And those people that died in the Tower of Solomon, those 18 people, they weren't any more guilty than you or I. And the real issue is this repent or perish issue. Make your life straight and right with God and make sure you're in good relationship with Him because you don't know what's coming. You don't know. Sense of urgency. So with that stuff being said and kind of looking at it, here's the first bullet point that I wanted to look at, which we kind of talked about already. So what can we take away from 9-11? Well, here's what you can pretty much guarantee. On the next slide right here, it says, This same Satan who started these lies and set forth these attacks is after you. Your relationships, your kids, and ultimately, your eternity. Right? That is truth right there. And that's, a, that, you know, when I was writing it down and, you know, praying through I was like, man, i got to hold on to that one. Now, some people that aren't Christians and when we hear something like that, they'd say, you know, that just sounds like scare tactics to me. The terrorists use scare tactics, right? They're trying to scare you and create terror within you and try and get you to be afraid. And this is just doing the same thing. Well, you know, I would, uh, interesting point, but I would say that, you know, I, I think it's as much as a scare tactic as, you know, if I were to tell. You know, a young child of mine, hey, don't touch the stove because it's a bad idea and it's going to hurt you, that I'm just trying to convince that little child just to think like me and I'm just trying to scare him to think like me. I think it's as much as a scare tactic as that is. You know, I'm, just trying, I'm not trying to get that child to just think like me that fire is dangerous and the stove is dangerous. It actually is and it will burn you. And it is in my opinion that faith is real, God is real, and evil is real. And this is what he's going after. And for him, the perfect way to do it is very subtly. Come in and start planting lies. Nobody likes you. You're not that attractive. You don't have very much to offer. Your marriage is a mess. You're a bad mom. You're a bad dad. You've been messing things up for a long time. They don't really care what you have to say. They're not going to listen anyways. Get in there. Get in there. Start isolating you now from other people because you, now you're feeling so bad about yourself. Now you get start getting isolated and that's where he goes off on you. That's where the punching bag is. And now you bring in other factors. 
Drugs are a pretty good outlet for that. Alcohol is a pretty good outlet for that. Let's start latching on to those things. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And that's how he gets in there. He's going to lie through Osama bin Laden and create this whole disgusting picture of the U.S. He's going to do the same thing within you, your lives, your family, your kids. And he wants to do it subtly. He wants to do it subtly. So it's a real battle that is actually going on. And so the verse that I said before, if you want to look at it and check it out later, 1 Peter 5.8. I'm not making this stuff up. It's just not my opinion that it's happening. It says in the Bible this is what's happening. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's his MO. That's how he operates. Who can I get? Who looks susceptible? Who looks like they got their guard down? Who's tired today? Who's hungry? Who's struggling? Who's feeling distraught and frustrated? I'm going after them. Man, we got to stick together. We got to stick together as a community, Christ followers. We got to stay in our word and we got to stay praying and we got to be on our knees as much as we can. Because 9 11 is a picture of what is going on. It's not just this spiritual stuff that we can't see and it just stays there. That stuff is happening. But when things like that happen, we get to actually see the real picture of what's really going on. So next part. Next bullet point we can take away. One is that Satan is definitely alive, around, and the word is right. He's looking to devour us. Next bullet point... It's something we talked about already. Tragedies occur in the lives of the godless and the godly. Right? We've already said that. Suffering peels away the veneer of self-sufficiency in our lives. Right? Tragedies are going to occur in tough times. The trials and tribulations are going to come for the godly and for the godless. So the question is, what do I do with them? Where is God going to be in the middle of it? Well, one thing that I read that this past week, there's an article I put on our Facebook. Uh, you can check it out. There's a pastor. His name is Greg Laurie. He's another Calvary Chapel pastor in California. Um, actually, right now, he's in the middle of doing, they do these huge crusades. Almost like a Billy Graham type thing, but like a little bit different. Like a 2011 version. And they're actually in Dodger Stadium. Packing it out. All kinds of bands. Uh, he's speaking. He gives invitations. It's awesome. It's all online, actually, too. And, uh, and, and they actually record it. So even if you can't watch it live, you can watch the recording. I watched the last one they just did in a New Zealand, which was awesome. Um, but anyways, he wrote an article in the Huffington Post. I don't know why the Huffington Post let him write an article, but he wrote one. Uh, and it was really good. And so I stole uh, part of it. That's why that's in quotes. Uh, because he was talking about 9-11 a little bit. And I thought that he did a good job of just painting a nice picture with words as far as peeling the veneer of self-sufficiency in our lives. Because tragedies and trials and difficulties can do that. Because we can think that, oh, you know, I work pretty hard, I, I um, you know, provide for my family and try and do the right things and I always get back up on my horse, I'm always working hard. And we can think that we've developed all of this ourselves. That could be the temptation to think that. But when trials and tragedies and things that happen outside of our control, it peels away some of that veneer back. And now it gives God a chance to work. Let me explain what I mean. I'm sh- you might have heard of a Christian artist. His name is Jeremy Camp. Okay? Jeremy Camp, he has a very interesting story. He, um, 
I wish I had a picture. I should uh, put a picture up there. But Jeremy Camp, part of his story is uh, his first wife that he got married to. They dated, you know, hung out and got engaged. And while they're about, to, right before they're about to get married, found out um, that his wife had cancer. And the doctor said that she might not even have a year to live. And they're engaged. And they're about to get married. So now they're kind of thinking, oh, geez, you know, like, what do I, like, do we still get married? Like, you know, what do you do? Put yourself in that situation. There's a lot of questions and just concerns surrounding that. And then if you do get married, like, that's going to be difficult and hard and painful with what might happen. And so he felt like he was supposed to get married. And uh, after they got married, they went to the doctor and uh, had some promising test results come back and they thought maybe that she could actually might be able to live a little bit longer. Uh, but then after a few months, some more testing came back and found out she only had months to live. So he married her. They were married, I think, for less than a year. And during that time, you can just put yourself in Jeremy's place. Just the amount of emotional anguish and trials and just the tragedy, real tragedy in his life. Talk about peeling back the veneer. At that point in time, you figure out what's really important. And at that point in time, you figure out what you're really made out of and what direction you're really going to go down. Let me read you a quote of what he said. This is what he said. I don't know if I could say this, but here's what he said. He said, watching Melissa go to heaven, right, watching her die, watching his wife die, not even married a year, watching Melissa go to heaven made me realize what's important. Music is not my life. Christ is my life. The only thing that really matters is what we do for Jesus on this earth. And as a result of what I've been through, I express even more the goodness of God and how faithful He is. That was His quote about that time. That's incredible. Incredible. And talking about pulling the veneer back, I mean, He just figured out, and you know, He's a Christian musician, and His life has always been music, and He's always been around it. And that's how they made their way through life. I mean, that's how he made a living. That's how he did things. It was a part of him. But through that, he saw what was really important. Christ being his life. And I'll tell you what, that worship album that he made, while he made a worship album while he was going through that, that's still my favorite. He he's has, I don't know, six or seven albums out now. By far, that is my favorite worship album. It's in my truck right now. I listen to it all the time. Walk by Faith is a song. I still believe is a song. I mean... It's incredible. It's incredible the words and how he put that together. Um, But none of that would have ever come forth and that veneer of the life that he thought was so important to him would have never been peeled back if that had not happened in his life. And he said one of the things that really pushed him and really helped him through was that every day he went to see her, she was just in complete joy, which is like incredible to me. I mean... I think I might have a bad attitude, to say the least. Right? Pure joy. And in fact, he said that her response is, listen, if one person can come to meet Jesus and can come to be in heaven through my difficulty right now, it is completely worth it. It's amazing. It's amazing. So yes... Satan is around, prince of this world, tragedies. God can certainly, certainly use them. 
certainly use them for the important things in life. So I want to close with this thought. Next slide. Right? After 9-11, we made this Homeland Security Department, right? And it's got these different colors. Severe, high, elevated, guarded, low, right? You've all seen this. And at different times, you know, it's at different levels. I'm sure probably today we must be on red. 10-year anniversary, 9-11. I mean, first thing I did, I woke up this morning. I tried on TV right away. I just wanted to see, you know, I don't know. And that's my prayer that, you know, hopefully, you know, God is in the middle of it. But, Homeland Security, right? That was to protect our nation. That was to keep us aware. That was to harass us at airports and make us late to where we have to go and to frisk us in ways that are not right. (laughs) So, Homeland Security. In church, though, you know, my thing is, which homeland do you have secure? Which homeland are we talking about? Are we talking about America and this place on earth? Or are you talking about your homeland in heaven where God is, where Jesus is, is that secure? We've had 10 years to think about it. I hope that is the secure one. Because when Jesus was with those religious leaders, and they're trying to trap them, you know, once again, tower fell, people died. His response was basically, I'm not even getting into your arguments, here's what's important. Stuff is going to happen. Don't try and label it. What is important? Repent or perish. Come find me. Get your relationship right with me. Otherwise, you really have no security. You're just a victim, really, of what's going to happen here. And you're going to be a victim later on. You are not going to be secure later on. And that's the important issue. Like, that's the point. Right? Otherwise, there is no hope about some other place where mighty to save and I can only imagine. They're just nice songs with nice words. So the point is for us to have a secure homeland. And I hope that for you individually it is. And if you are secure and you know you'll be with our King in heaven one day and we will be hanging out together, I hope that today is just another encouragement for you in your walk with God. And if it's out of place, where you're not sure, today is a good day to make sure. Today is a very good day to make sure. So, I want you to think about that. We're going to show one video clip right at the end here. I'll come back up, um, and then we'll close in prayer. So we'll show this one clip, and I'll come back up, we'll close in prayer.
remember all those who lost their lives and their loved ones to this terrible tragedy. We lift up their families and their friends and ask for strength, peace, and comfort. We also remember and honor those heroes who stepped in to help, to save, to serve. And we will never forget those who gave their lives for the noble cause of rescuing others. We are forever grateful. We pray blessing and comfort over their families. We pray for the spirit of unity to revisit our nation. The unity we felt in the midst of our struggles and our confusion. We pray that our citizens would look to God for wisdom and guidance, just as many did during that time of uncertainty. Most of all, we pray for the swift return of our Savior, who will one day put an end to all tragedies and to all tears. We love you. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So why don't we uh, stand and uh, we'll close in prayer together. It's a good video and a good prayer. Um, if you like it, I think uh, I also put that one on Facebook and so you can go back and check it out and pray it again if you'd like. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, and so, uh, you know, if your homeland is not secure, um, what I'll do is we'll bow our heads in prayer. And uh, if your homeland is not secure and, you know, you're not sure exactly what your relationship is like with God, we can make it right right now. So um, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And um, if you don't know if your homeland is secure, you can just repeat after me. You can say, God, um, I see what the ugliness of sin looks like and I don't like it. And uh, I want you to save me from it. And so God, this day, 10 years from 9-11, I'm going to ask you to come into my life. I ask you to come into my heart. And I'm going to uh, let you be Lord of my life. And for the rest of us, um, we're going to pray that God will uh, give us the wisdom and guidance that we need. And so, God, we just pray, Lord, that you just give us the wisdom and guidance we so badly need in life. We pray that uh, we'd help keep the important things important. You give us clear perspective of, what's what, of what is really going on. That you'd give us the ability to fight the lies in our home and in our relationships. And we pray that you would be with those and that you would bless the families that are suffering and having a difficult time today. And we pray, Lord, if they are, you could even direct them into our past, Lord. And we might even get a chance to pray with them or just talk with them, Lord, just to encourage them. And we pray for your kingdom come to come soon. And we put this day in your hands, Father. And we look forward to the day when it says that you will return and you will reign forever. 
So God, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, hope you guys have an awesome week. And uh, enjoy your time with your family today. Very important. Those parenting cards are in the back. And again, let me know if you want to do the retreat. Other than that, have a blessed week. Thank <laughs> you.